In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. When an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realised he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In, those, in these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? asked Mary. Sorry, Mary asked the angel since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who, said to, who was said to be unable to conceive 
is in her sixth month. For no word from the Lord will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Morning. Good to be here with you this morning to worship among God's people. And it's a privilege to be able to open that word to you now. I first met Jesus when I was 30 years old. Although I was brought up in a Christian home, I knew about him, but I did not know him. And I don't know exactly when it happened, but I do remember walking to work one morning. We were living in Papua New Guinea, and it was a beautiful tropical morning, and uh, I live very close to where I worked, and walking down this, this avenue uh, lined with palm trees and frangipanis, I suddenly stopped and realised that I was seeing the world differently. Something had changed. And one of the most significant changes that happened was realising that God had a purpose and plan for my life. I no longer had to worry about what I should be doing with my life. God had it in hand. What a wonderful thing that is. As the psalmist puts it, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The Apostle Paul, I found out later, pinned it down for me in his letter to the Ephesian church when he said, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for, me to, for you to walk in. Well, as uh, John Stott uh, put that, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works which God prepared beforehand, which he designed and for which he has fashioned us. Now, I found that an amazing revelation. I had changed jobs four times in the preceding few years, and yet I was never really satisfied with what I was doing. And then to come to the deep realisation that I did not have to worry about what job I was doing, I only needed to surrender my heart and let God show me the good works he wanted me to do, wanted me to walk in. Friends, God has a purpose for your life, each one of you. The question is, are you willing to walk in it? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a revelation of yourself to us. And we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit may indeed show us those good works that you would have us walk in and give us the grace to surrender to that purpose you have for us, for the sake of Jesus Christ, our, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Now, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all introduce the ministry of Jesus by writing about John the Baptist. John is the person, I think, who is most ignored in the Christmas celebrations. Yet the Christmas story begins really with two miraculous babies, John and Jesus, 
born within just a few months of each other. The good news begins with the cousin of Jesus, a baby called John. And the reason for that is that the Old Testament ends with these two. There's a gap, you know, I'm sure you, you know, of about 400 years between the Old and New Testament. There are some interesting books from that time. They're called the Apocrypha, gathered together. But they're not included in the Word of God because they never include the phrase, thus says the Lord, or this is what the Lord says. The reason is that for 400 years, God had not spoken. The last word that God, uh, of, from God before the angel spoke to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was to a prophet named Malachi. And if you read the last two sentences of the Old Testament, Malachi says God will send a Messiah, but before the Messiah comes, he will send a messenger to prepare the way. The Old Testament closes with that promise of two people coming, one to get ready for the other. And the Christmas story is about the birth of two babies, John and Jesus. And humanly speaking, neither of them should have been born. So let's look at the story. There are a striking number of similarities between the two stories, the birth of John and the birth of Jesus, but there are also some profound differences. The stories are very alike in ten features, and yet they're very different in another six. Well, that gives me just 16 points to get through, uh, if you're doing the maths. When I was in college, I was told you should have a, an introduction and three points and a conclusion. Some people have said, well, you should have a, an introduction and a conclusion, and they should be as close together as possible. But anyway, firstly, the similarities between these two events. The outline of the stories are nearly identical. In both accounts, there is a description of the parents, a visit of it by a heavenly messenger, an angel, the prediction of a baby boy, an objection by the parents to whom the predictions are made, and an explanation by the angel. They're almost carbon copies. I think most of you listening to me here would only know what a carbon copy was by the CC on your emails, I imagine. Uh, you won't remember real carbon copies. But they're almost identical, these two stories. Well, secondly, uh, the, the uh, outline of the stories. Secondly, there's a parallel in that both births were impossible, humanly speaking. On the one hand, Elizabeth was past uh, the age of childbirth, she was barren, just like Sarah and Rebecca and uh, Rachel before them in the Old Testament, before her. Too old to bear a child. Mary, well, she was too young, probably only in her 15th year. Too young uh, for a baby. Uh, she was to be married at 16. She was only a teenage girl who was betrothed, not yet married. And she was a virgin. So in both cases, God intervened miraculously. And another similarity is that they were both, uh, John and Jesus, were born as firstborn sons. 
Firstborn sons in a family were very important to God. And right from the time that God's people were slaves in Egypt, the firstborn son always had a special significance. It was the firstborn son in a Hebrew family who was spared when the angel of death passed over them in Egypt. And it was the firstborn son uh, in the Hebrew family who was always heir of the father. They inherited everything from the father, the firstborn son. And the anticipated Messiah who was promised to Israel was to be a firstborn son. Well, fourthly, the similarity between these two stories is they both had an angelic visitor. Now, angels are real. They're not just fairy-like beings decorating shop windows and Christmas trees at Christmas time. And although we might see them, we might not see them, they are real with personalities and names. Angels don't reproduce, they don't die, so their numbers are fixed. And if you read the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, it was Gabriel who twice announced the coming of the Messiah to Daniel almost 500 years previously. And here it was Gabriel again, and she came to both Zechariah and to Mary with this announcement. The fifth similarity, Gabriel appeared in both appearances and there was fear. And wouldn't you be afraid? Both Zechariah and Mary uh, were frightened. But one of the most lovely uh, words in scripture, the one most lovely phrases in the Bible is, don't be afraid. I'm told it's there some 366 times. I haven't counted it personally, but that's one for every day of the year, including a leap year, of course. Don't be afraid. And it's true that we often get frightened when God gets close. Again and again in the Bible, we're told, don't be afraid. God does not want us to be fearful. Sixthly, both infants were named by God and their nature described. They were both under God's direct authority. It's interesting to notice that this was the time of King Herod, who was known as Herod the Great. Some of you are old enough, I think, to remember Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay previously, who changed his name to Muhammad Ali, that great heavyweight boxer who won the world championships many times. I believe in... Uh, uh, 50, he won 56 world-class bouts and only lost five times. And uh, some 30 of those were by knockout. You know, he was, a, he was a, a boxer. But when he was interviewed, he would stare down the camera and say, I am the greatest, he would proclaim to everyone. And when the angel came to Zechariah, he said to him, John will be great. And when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he said, Mary, Jesus will be great. And you know, it's, it's not those who call themselves great who are the greatest. It's those God, whom God calls great, who are great. And later Jesus was going to say of his cousin John, he was the greatest man that ever was born. What an amazing tribute well, seventhly, their careers 
word is scribe for both these, these events. God said, this is what John will do and this is what Jesus will do. God had it all planned out. The lives that are going to be the greatest benefit as citizens in the kingdom of God are lives that will be in line with God's plan and purpose, his will. And John was going to live one kind of life and Jesus was going to live another. Both were to live planned lives. Not a life they had planned themselves, but a life God had planned for them, intended for them. The eighth similarity in both cases, Zechariah and Mary argued back with a question that began with the word, how? Why didn't they ask why? So many people ask questions like, how do miracles happen? Instead of asking why they happen. Mary, God is going to give you a baby boy and he will be Jesus and he will be great. And Mary asks, how? The more important question she should have asked is, why? Why is this happening, God? Many debate how the world was created, how things happen, but even if you find the answer to those questions, it won't change you. And if you ask why the world was created, well, that can affect your life. And scientists sometimes seem blind to the word, word why. They're preoccupied with questions like, what is the universe made of? I, I googled what are the 20 most important scientific questions of the age. And the first one was, scientists wanted to know, uh, repeatedly this came up, what the universe is made of. I must say that doesn't keep me awake at night. And the second question, most important to scientists, is how did life begin? But why didn't they ask why? Why don't they ask why? That's the much more important question. The Bible doesn't bother with how questions. It doesn't say how did the blind see and how did the lame walk? How did these things happen? It says why they happen. And Zechariah and Mary were typical of many of us, I think, and asked how. <laughs> and they have, to, they have to have it explained to them. And there's something very human about this, isn't there? And Zechariah expressed, of course, his expression of, of question really implied unbelief. Mary's was more positive. The ninth similarity between these two events was they were both given signs that it was going to happen. Zechariah was told he would not be able to speak a word for nine months. Mary was told to go and see her cousin Elizabeth and she would be pregnant even in her old age. The tenth similarity, in both cases, there was an acceptance of God's will. For Elizabeth, you see, that meant her disgrace was taken away. Such was society in those days that it was considered a disgrace not to be able to have children. A woman could be divorced on those grounds alone. So Elizabeth is thrilled. She wanted to tell people to, to get out there and announce what had happened. Her disgrace had been taken away. Mary was rather different. For her, pregnancy was a disgrace. 
And yet, she was willing. For Elizabeth to accept was to remove her disgrace. For Mary to accept was to bring her disgrace. And I can think of few more wonderful words than Mary saying, I'm just your servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Now the difference between the two baby boys, and there are six differences here. Firstly, their backgrounds are quite different. John was from a priestly family. Jesus came from a royal family. John's family came from the Aaronic priesthood. Jesus came from the line of David. John came from a metropolitan background, growing up under the shadow of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus came from a little country village up in the hill country of Galilee. Their families' economic circumstances were quite different. John was from an affluent family. Priests' family were, families were well looked after in those days. But Jesus came from a home where one lost coin made a difference and where clothes were patched. Second difference was that they changed places. John was going to live in a desert. Jesus was going to live, uh, Jesus was going to villages and towns and then on to Jerusalem, the central town of those days. So their background prepared them for different ministries to what you might have expected. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll go back. They shared... Um, they really swapped their background, didn't they? They started in poverty and in affluence, and they swapped that. And, and I never imagined a trade education and starting as a blue-collar worker would prepare me for a life of ministry. And so often you see the Lord takes us and puts us in a different social setting, a different culture to which, uh, where his purpose is fulfilled. And Jesus and John had completely changed backgrounds. The third difference between them was that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old and Mary was very young. The message came in the temple in one case and in the home in the other. Zechariah was a descendant of Aaron and was therefore a priest. And uh, just as a, a point of interest, there were 24 shifts of priesthood in the temple. In Jerusalem, and the priests lived in the villages around Jerusalem, and they would have to do their turn on duty in the temple. And they would go up to the temple, and uh, they would be there at the Passover. They'd all be there at the Passover, all at Pentecost, all at Tabernacles. But the rest of the year, they took shifts, one week per year. But there were about a thousand priests. The possibility that some priests would have. Uh, was that they'd only have one chance in a lifetime to go within the veil and the altar of incense to go in and pray, as Zechariah did. And it, it was done by lots. They didn't even know if it would ever come up. It wasn't even by turns. They did it by drawing lots out of a bag. And the possibility is that Zechariah would only have this one chance in his whole life. And here he was, an old man. And his lot was drawn and he prepared to go into the holy place in the temple. In beyond that, behind that exquisitely embroidered veil and pray for an hour into the holy of holies. Uh, 
And you can imagine him going inside. And it was lit by a fire, and a, a little fire on the incense, uh, the altar of incense. And he knew that outside people were praying for him. And this was his big moment, finally, this very wonderful thing. Can you imagine? That in itself would have been great. But suddenly there was an angel. Can you imagine all alone inside and suddenly there's an angel there? Oh my, I can, I can imagine him measuring the distance back to the veil to get out. But that's how the vision came to Zechariah. So Zechariah as an old man had reached the climax of his career and was told, you're going to have a boy. And do you know this? I suspect Zechariah had given up praying for a boy. Why? Well, because it was too late now. He'd prayed through all those years. Oh, to present a boy priest to the Lord. Lord, may Elizabeth conceive. And she never did. And now he's given up. And the angel's message was this. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Have you given up on a prayer? Have you not realised that God has his perfect timing? The name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. What a lovely name, the Lord remembers. And Elizabeth, the name Elizabeth means my God is faithful. Are there any Elizabeths here? It's a wonderful name to have. Now, the message that came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in the home. It wasn't in the temple. It wasn't in a religious setting. Presumably, it was in a house, a very different setting. And that tells you that God can visit you, not only when you're in a place of worship like this, but tomorrow morning when you're washing up. And so he came and he spoke to Mary and said, Greetings. You who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Now, some have thought that this meant that Mary must have been quite an outstanding person, a spectacular in her own character and personality. I think the emphasis of this statement is that God takes the nobodies of this world, the ordinary people of this world. He doesn't take the greats. He uses ordinary people and makes them great. The fourth difference between these two stories is, or th between these two babies, is their conception. Now, God can use 101 ways to produce babies. And in one case, he used a father, even though the wife was beyond age. In the other case, he didn't use a human father. God can use a husband or do without the husband. And in one case, he used one, and in the other case, he did without. And their names were different. John means grace of God, grace of God. And Jesus means saviour, or God saves. And this was what was going to happen. The grace of God was to begin to appear with John, but it was Jesus who would save. The fifth difference between them was their destiny and career would be different. On one hand, John was going to eat locusts and wild honey and be a teetotaler. 
Jesus, on the other hand, was going to go to parties and eat and drink and be accused, accused of liking wine too much. But the important lesson is this. It's not that we should be doing the same thing as someone else. The important thing is that we're doing the will of God, the very purpose God has created us for. And John and Jesus had completely different destinies. They had to follow different paths. And for you and for me, there will be a different path. But God has the perfect plan. John's was a temporary uh, ministry, only a few years just to get people ready and then to fade out of the picture, to go to prison and ultimately to lose his head to the whim of a dancing girl. But he fulfilled a purpose as Jesus said, he was the greatest man that ever lived. And the final difference was one of knowledge. The birth of John was public and the birth of Jesus was private. Everybody knew about John's birth. The whole village was talking. You can imagine the excitement of Elizabeth. Finally, she was going to have a baby. And she told everyone, her neighbours and her family. <coughs> and everyone would have been thrilled for Jesus. They shared her joy, it says in that reading. Everyone marvelled and Zechariah's ability to speak as the baby was finally, uh, finally came, the time came, Zechariah's ability to speak was restored. And they asked what they were going to name him and everyone expected Zechariah after his father, as was the custom. But they said, no, the baby is to be called John, as the angel had instructed. But you know, the birth of Jesus was different. It was so private. They didn't speak to Mary in the village where she lived. No, it was, a, it was something they tried to distance themselves from. She was having a baby before marriage and it was a disgrace. I don't know why Joseph stays with her. Do you know one of the loveliest things in the story is that Mary didn't try and explain herself. Didn't try and explain matters to Joseph. She didn't even say, look, this baby is from, not from another man, Joseph. She left it to God to look after it. And she didn't try and justify herself. She never tried to exonerate herself from blame. What trust? When people are going to misunderstand and say things about you, could you keep quiet? Mary did. And you know, for, for the birth, God took that little family and took them 110 kilometres away or thereabouts. Mary had a long journey before the baby was born. And it was all so quiet there, just in a stable or perhaps more likely in a courtyard, probably in the open air with the stars above, by the manger in the centre of the courtyard. And hardly anybody knew. A few scruffy sheep keepers knew and later a few wise men came from hundreds of miles away. So unknown, just a little girl having her first baby at 16 at Christmas in a courtyard. And I just want you to try and imagine in this last moment, you women, 
If God asked you if he could use your womb, what would be your reaction? And you men, if God asked you to be a father or a foster father for someone absolutely vital to God's plan, what would be your reaction? I'll tell you this, you can find out very simply. You see, the Lord Jesus desires to use your heart. And you can tell if there's room for him in your womb or in your heart. For we are confronted with an identical situation, spiritually, to Elizabeth and Mary. For every one of us here this morning, God is asking us, will you carry Jesus about in your body for me? For some, it may remove your, your disgrace. For others, it may bring you disgrace. For some, it may be a lovely, happy thing in the eyes of others that you carry Jesus about with you. For others, it will be a thing that will make you lonely and isolated and misunderstood. But are you prepared to carry Jesus in your body? For that's the way Jesus is moving in this world now as his spirit occupies the hearts of ordinary men and women and boys and girls. The rest of the New Testament talks about Christ being conceived in us being formed in us until it becomes obvious to other people that we carry another life within us and they can see the signs of what could be called a spiritual pregnancy in which Christ is being formed in us. May we pray. Oh God, what a story. What an amazing truth. If there is any of us who is not willing to carry the Lord Jesus in these earthly bodies of ours into this world of ours, then, Lord, we ask that you would remove the barriers of suspicion and pride, those things that might hold us back, and open us up to him, that we may indeed live the life planned for us to his glory. For in his name we pray. Amen.